Hey, it's me, John Hodgman, host of The Flophouse. It's another episode where we don't watch a movie, and I come by for some reason. I'm here with our friends, Elliot Kalin. Hi, Elliot. Oh, hey, John. I'm glad you've taken the reins. <laughs> Dan McCoy. Hi, Dan. Hey, hey, could you come do this every time? Because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and Stuart Wellington moving along. Oh, hey, how you doing? Great and to be ex- here. Oh, great to see you. Or not see you, but hear you. And our extra special guest, uh, my uh, my colleague, friend, and dear collaborator in a project that we will be discussing later on in this episode, David Reese. Hi, th- thanks for having me, John. That's my pleasure. Of course, the Flophouse comes to you every week from MaximumFun.org with a discussion about mm-hmm. a movie that did not do well. But we, we Usually, sometimes, yeah. We sometimes do these mini-episodes where we talk about whatever we want, and that's all I know about them. You know, Dan... Mm-hmm. Get, can you tell me what these mini episodes are about? Well, I, they're pretty free form. We just uh, do whatever we like. Uh, although, John, it sounded like you were gonna like launch into a ad for Lucky Strike cigarettes or, you know, some other sure. old time radio sponsor. Um, right. Uh, our, our 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 sponsor this week is Striker. Are you tired of going out to the bodega to get cigarettes? Why not mm-hmm. order them delivered to your home? Via the internet. Striker. S-T-R-I-K-R. It's the internet cigarette company. We believe so much in these cigarettes that we bought the factory in Germany uh-huh. to send them to you. Uh-huh. Now, uh, so... Oh, by the way, don't don't smoke cigarettes, everyone. Joe... <laughs> Thanks, good. Cool, you covered cool, it. Good save. John Hodgman and David Reese are here in large part because uh, they have a new show coming out called Dick Town. And we'll get to that in a moment. But what I really sure. want to talk about right now is now... David, uh, you probably don't recall. I met you once before at uh, the f- the wedding of our mutual friend, Mr. Brock Mahan, also uh, Elliot's uh, very close friend. Mm-hmm. And what I recall about this is uh, we had a pleasant interaction, and then uh, because it was a cash bar for some reason, I offered to buy you a drink. Because uh. Brock's not made of money, Dan. Yeah, Excuse right, yeah. me. If I, could okay. sta- if I could stand up for one I mean, of my lo- oldest friends... If there's not anything one should have at a Amazingly, at a wedding. Brock did not make a trillion dollars being a producer on yeah. Going Deep with David Reese. Yeah, no, we can all agree which on this. canceled TV show that nobody watched. Incredibly, which, which I w- that did not give him open bar money. I'll, can, I'll step up and say that uh, I, I was been waiting for a moment to mention Going Deep with David Reese, one of my favorite television shows of all time. Yeah, oh, I mean, you. like, I mean, all I'll say is, like, you know, much, much poorer people than Brock have had open bars. But the point is, wow. I was... Uh, name I was, them. I, was, wow. I want three. I want the names of three uh, of them. Jeff and Sally. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. and Checks out. Oh wow. Max. Uh, well, but, but, the point but is, that was wait. Yes, okay. Technically, it was three people. That was the same wedding. It was a polyamorous <laughs> wedding. But okay. you're right. That's okay. Right. They did have the, an open bar. I mean, the point of just the story like they have an open marriage was merely yeah. that. That was the slogan was, of the time: an, open, open bar, open marriage. You know what? It's this an is, unspoken rule among thruple weddings: open bar, of course, is required. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta get the parents on board. Get the parents on board. Loosen them up. <laughs> uh, I'm ruining the. Way to do the it. You got a lot of parents to please, you know. Ruining the day. I agreed to five. An open bar is a real uh, guaranteed parent pleaser. I think. Mm-hmm. The, the point the to be pleaser. <laughs> the, the point of the story, such as it was, which is not much, was that. Uh, You're a not, trust fund dilettante who requires everyone to spend as. There was not an open as bar. There's not an open bar, and I offered to uh, buy David a drink because I had enjoyed his show so much going deep with David Reese and he looked uh-huh. at me like I was a, a crazy person which is to be fair a totally reasonable reaction to that 
Common. But uh, that was our that was our one uh, meeting Wait, prior to this. That makes me. Sen- I'm sorry. Like maybe I was being maybe I was distracted because I was DJing the reception and I was really nervous. About I think it. that was probably part of it. I you gar- did it. I guarantee. Did I say anything to you? I, or I guarantee I just- you, Dan no. asked you this while you were DJing, and it really threw you off. That's my <laughs> no, guarantee. No, no. We were in the bar the bar section of the the wedding. Yeah. I am uh-huh. sure that you, you, you know, you were doing a great job DJing. And I'm sure you were distracted by it, and I'm also sure that I was uh, uh, deeply awkward because that is my default. So yeah, I mean, knowing Dan, you probably started the conversation by complaining that he wasn't playing enough B sides. <laughs> yeah, that was a. Uh, I was like going deep yeah. with David Reese, uh, going the obvious choices with David Reese. I had been I, hired by Brock to to DJ his wedding, and at the time I was making a lot of mashups. And um, Brock had asked if I would play some mashups for the people dancing. And I had made a couple using some songs that Brock and his wife Ramel really liked. And I had made one that I thought was really terrific, that worked really well, which was Dancing on My Own by Robin with mm-hmm. Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy mm-hmm. Lauper. Along with, I believe in a thing called love by the darkness, and I was playing it, <laughs> and then someone came up to me and said, "Can you just play Girls Just Want to Have Fun?" By <laughs> I want to dispute that. I have nothing but warm, warm memories of that wedding. I'm, I think you did a great. Oh, it was job. a great. Well, it was a great wedding. But I have, I have fraught, fraught memories, and I no longer speak to Brock or Ramel and I'll <laughs> resent them forever. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. I hope I'll, I miss those guys. The uh, So, Dave, Dan, do you have any more grievances you want to air? <laughs> yeah, I just like that episodes? Dan said he had nothing but warm memories and he started by complaining about having to I pay for not, his own no, drinks. No, I mean, if I had not been <laughs> Not a warm memory, by, sir, unless by, unless it's warmed by the fires of your rage you know, and resentment. If if anything, this was an apology to Mr. Reese for for well, putting I, yeah. him in an awkward uh, position. I was probably socially awkward too, and was probably scowling just because that's how my face usually is. And I'm sorry if you've spent a couple years thinking I was a crappy DJ and an unpleasant person. You're not the only person who's <laughs> thought that though, so you don't have to. I mean, I'm I, if anyone has has a grievance, it's me since I I actually had requested to be the DJ, and they asked for mashups, and I played them what I called Monster Mash, which is a mashup of the Monster Mash <laughs> and Suicide is Painless, the theme song from Mash. Sure, yeah. And they said tonally it didn't mix, and in retrospect mm-hmm. they were right, but I thought the title all, worked also, really well. Tonally it didn't mix, and also it sounded bad. <laughs> yes, oh, very much so. It was not yeah. danceable, it, which is ironic since the Monster Mash is a song about a dance. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I guess Suicide is Painless is, a, is about the dance called War. Okay, so the point is that we're here to talk about... <laughs> Partial de- credit. We're here to talk about detectives uh, today on the show. Well, if, John and, and David, would you please tell us about Dicktown, uh, your upcoming program? Sure. John, yes. do you want to... Let's, let's, okay. let's coordinate our media strategy. Who takes the lead <laughs> here, on this? Here we this go. This is a good test run. All right. Completely synchronized media strategy. I know what Begin. we do, John. Alternate words. What? Good old, here we go. Dicktown is our new show that premieres on FXX's anthology of short form programming called Cake on July 9th and 
also <laughs> available <laughs> oh uh, on hulu the following day wow that was great that was, that was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a real tightrope, but you you did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th- I we should have really written impre- the episodes that way. That I was, was really, really imp- successful. I was impressed by uh, the following up of and with also. Uh, <laughs> Classic. Yeah. I was I was buying time. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, beautifully, beautifully done. And so, they, Dick they, Town. If I if I understand correctly, it's a town where instead of people, everyone's a penis. No, that's <laughs> we couldn't sell that version of it. They asked for something a little less esoteric. Okay, here's the deal. Fair. Here's here's the deal. David Reese and I were invited, invite, we were invited, everyone, mm-hmm. to come up with an idea for a short form animated show for FXX's late night anthology show Cake. Uh, and we had an idea. We wanted to do a animated show about uh, a detective show in which my character... Uh, named John Hunchman mm-hmm. is a former prodigal boy detective a la Encyclopedia Brown but now he has grown up and he's in his 40s and he's sad and alone and he's still solving crimes for teenagers and David Reese's character David Purefoy is my character's former high school bully and arch enemy who also has failed to thrive and is hanging around this town and he has now become my driver and sort of hired muscle and unlikely friend. And we go uh, episode after episode solving various mysteries for uh, teenagers in this town. Now, this is a show with a lot of heart, a lot of warmth, and Mm -hmm. we knew, knew, therefore, that FXX and its parent company FX and its parent company F would (laughs) not be into it. (laughs) And therefore, I had the idea... I'm sorry, David, to, to, to claim this inspiration. This is the longest word I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Was this the one word description? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep going. So, in any case, we had the idea to, to call it Dick Town. Dick as in detective. Mm-hmm. And also the fictional town in which the, the show is set is called Richardsville, North Carolina. I, and the locals call it Dick Town. And we thought that that would bring FX around to uh, to their sort of subversive, uh, yep. provocative uh, point of view, and it worked. But now, like I don't like saying I don't like saying swear words. I don't like saying dick all the time. But now uh-huh. we have a show called Dick Town, so it's called <laughs> Dick Town. And I think I think the uh, the the ad campaign I saw for it where it says she wants the D and then parentheses Ick Town has not helped with the kind of heartwarming feel. You that saw you're all those for. billboards that I yeah, put up? Yeah, yeah. They, they, I mean, I the, you put them all up in my neighborhood, so it's really been hard to avoid yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my yeah. son was I like, mean, what's that? And I said, uh, the, don't look. There has been so much advertising throughout Hollywood, New York, Chicago, all across the country. I mean, people uh, by this point are incredibly tired of hearing about Dicktown and their sponsored uh-huh. content on their Instagrams. <laughs> And this is the mm-hmm. last stop on the Dicktown tour, the D-Town tour. Uh, I, mm-hmm. And the uh, DTT. Right. I would like to say this is the sort of very hyper-specific, esoteric, not relevant to the zeitgeist of 2020 premise that is catnip to me. Like, I, I, it is exactly <laughs> the thing that I love. 
Now, I are the detectives. Well, that's because we the, made it in. That's because we made it in 2018. Yeah. Right. <laughs> animation <laughs> takes a long time. The pilot is all about Charlottesville, Virginia, and the United the Right Rail. <laughs> oh, so. oh boy. Now, are the mysteries green. solved Encyclopedia Brown style in that they mostly depend on where penguins live? Like which pole the penguins? <laughs> and whether whether it's mules can have like children. Trivia based solutions. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a mix. I, the, it's a mystery of the week, and John's character, John Hunchman, does know a lot of trivia. I think there's some bird-related trivia in the pilot, and actually there's some bird-related yeah. clues in the season finale. So yeah. he he's a well-rounded, well-read guy. In one episode, he brags about his activity on goodreads.com. <laughs> but there's no replacing shoe leather, you know, and just elbow grease. And so there's yeah. a lot of research and interviewing suspects and driving around in my character's Fiero and tracking down leads and um, corralling people, sometimes bullying them into telling us what we want to know. It's a mix of um, a mix of investigative paradigms. That one of the, the tagline. Fuck. One of the things that I always loved about Encyclopedia Brown was the solutions, and mm-hmm. you would go to the back of the book after you read the mystery to find the solution. The solution was always like, uh, Encyclopedia Brown knew that the car hood would still be hot if the if the villain had driven as far as he had and therefore the baby dancing on the car hood would have been burned horribly on his souls or whatever. Oh yeah, the case of the dancing baby hood. That's right. And and they always end with and so the and so faced with the logic that their alibi made no sense, the criminal confessed immediately to the crime. Yeah. yeah. Which, it should have Bugs always... Bugs Meany was sentenced to life right. in prison. And whenever I would read this to my son, I would always change it to, and con- and faced with the, uh, with the illogic of his alibi, the criminal pushed the 14-year-old into the dirt and ran away and got away with it. Well, that, that's like, uh, in the beginning of all the books, they'd be like, you know, wherever is, I forgot Encyclopedia Brown's real first name, but what, that his dad was the Leroy. chief of police. What? Leroy. Le- Leroy? Bad, bad Leroy he was, Brown. He was bad boy, Le- bad, bad Leroy, because he would yeah. actually, oh, because he was bad, that's right, because in the last book they revealed that he was solving these minor crimes to cover up the fact that he was the crime king of the Midwest. <laughs> and yeah. he yeah. had this network of child thieves. But in the beginning, I'd always be like, police chief Brown wished that he could tell the world about his brilliant son. I was like, well, why can't he? Hold on a second. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. Because revealing that all of the... The, the the law enforcement of the town was had been sub subcontracted. To I mean, his better child. better to just take credit sure. for his son's work in a big eyes type scenario. I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's a if 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 Chief Brown and by the way, Encyclopedia Brown's first name is Leroy. I just looked it up. Mm-hmm. If Chief Brown had revealed that his son had solved every crime in Idaville for the past. In, impossible number of years because it's all Encyclopedia Brown time. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, immediately there would be a call to defund the police, <laughs> about, get rid of the police department because they're not doing anything. It's all this one middle schooler. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's when we say abolish the police, what we're just saying is replace them with Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> replace Let them kids with, do it with for genius. Free. Let yeah, kids exactly. do it for free. Mm. So to answer Let your question, Let the kids find Dan, the tampons and the milkshakes. 
That's about today's news. I didn't make that up. That's not a dick. That's incredible. Point. That's, that's incredible. Real life. I know. If, no, it's it's ripped, maybe, ripped from the headlines. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that'll be saved for season two, which comes out twenty twenty nine. The Hardy Boys also had a. Their dad was a detective, right? Oh yeah, no, he was. Right. He was Ed Hardy, the the clothing magnate. Oh right. Oh okay. Yeah. He was detecting new fashions. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. now my childhood uh, uh, child detectives of choice were the three investigators, and I've mentioned this to hmm. to Stuart and Allie before, who were not familiar with this. Are either of nope. you three investigators men? Never heard of them. No. But that's what I... you called. That's what you called yourself and your two brothers. <laughs> It was a it was an Alfred Hitchcock branded series. It was one of these things where like he put his name yeah. on like in the early like oh. episodes he was like he funded them I guess because they solved a crime for him. But Wait, mostly he was, a TV he was not involved. No, no, it was it was oh. a book series. It was okay. a Hardy Boys esque series. Uh, Jupiter Jones was the the smart one, and then they had you know like I don't know the bookish one or the tough guy. I can't. Two others. Yeah, right. two, uh, Jupiter Jones plus two was basically was, the three investigators. Jupiter Jones and then John Marsh and then Bob Stevenson. So only Jupiter <laughs> Jones had the really interesting name. Yeah, yeah, I think Bob Crenshaw might have been one. I don't. know. It's not even important. I just I was just curious if like you know there's this whole industry whether of or not you made those books up or not <laughs> it was a fever dream yeah it's like i had a dream I... where alfred hitchcock was bankrolling some middle school detectives and one of them was named jupiter did i imagine this yes dan you did Hash, hashtag hitchcock is canceled party <laughs> i i have a very vague memory of the three investigators but i think that i kind of disdain them as an off-brand imitator. A licensed Hitchcock property, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. I was... Okay, so that's where John lands on it. He is a hater. He's a... <laughs> Investigator hater, yeah. Don't don't care for them. Gator hater. No, <laughs> now, no wait, so you hate, but you hate investigators, not gators, not alligators, right? Because alligators are great. All of them. Really? Oh, Even wow. alligators? How would you say that alligators are great? It's like the closest we're ever going to get to a dinosaur. Yeah, I'm with yeah. Elliot. I think that's uh, true. I think birds, cool. Elliot. Dan, birds. don't be both pedantic and naive. One, <laughs> you're being a pedant because, yes, birds are dinosaurs that have evolved to be tiny and can fly some of the time and morons. Alligators, however, they've got the thing that dinosaurs really have going for them, which is size teeth. and oh, teeth. Sorry. Yeah, No, no, those two th- that was the okay. second thing I was going to say, yeah. They got those big teeth. You can wrestle them. You can't wrestle a bird. You'd look like a crazy person. Wrestle an alligator? Do that right in the middle of Fifth Avenue. People would love it. I would like to take issue with the implication that you just made that birds are dumber than dinosaurs. Do you, uh, uh, do, do you believe this to be true, sir? Yeah, 100,000 percent. 100,000 percent, sir. <laughs> All right. I think you're influenced saying... by the clever girls you saw in a little movie called Jurassic Park. That uh, was it. Was it or was it not a clever girl? It was a clever girl. <laughs> and have you ever seen? Have you ever seen a bird that one you would consider clever, and two you would be so informal with as to call a girl? El- Elliot, you win. Yes, sir. May I say, um, fuck you? <laughs> I mean, you can say well, it. I'm not how... quite quite sure why it applies, but I, I mean, I how, I don't, I don't know what. I mean, I, I believe the standards on your show is that swearing is allowed, right? Yeah, encouraged. <laughs> All right, then how fucking dare you? Because the the cor- the corvid family of birds, we're talking about crows, we're talking about ravens, 
mm-hmm. are incredibly intelligent. They've been proven time and again that they're they're capable of ma- manipulating uh, 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 manipulating things into tools. They uh, re- they remember faces. They hold grudges, and they teach their grudges to their young. I consider myself a Corvid at heart. <laughs> and That's I am, pretty smart. I am, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to train my young to hold a grudge against your face. Wow. <laughs> because I, those are those yeah. are smart birds. Those, that's very smart. It's not quite you having a novelty song about how you gotta love them because they're the baby, but that's pretty smart. Yeah. It's not <laughs> yeah. dinosaur those, smart. Those aren't dinosaurs. Those are Muppets. No, I, pigeons, I agree. Uh, pigeons can navigate by architecture. Go on. That's it. <laughs> that's <smart>. <laughs> <laughs> that means they're smart. Drop microphone. Yeah, and meanwhile, David Reese, we saw some alligators in Florida when we took a fan boat ride. Oh my and gosh! What were, they, what were they doing? Just lying around in the mud, waiting for an sunning, opportunity, sunning eat, themselves. Eat a thing. Right. Yeah, that's the waiting that, for that's what a out. genius does. Did the genius is like, hey, why am I busting my ass working day in day out when I can just lay out here? When get the government some sun. will pay me just to stay home, I make more money <laughs> with this COVID stimulus than I ever did at my job. Exactly, classic alligator thinking. Yeah, yeah. And you guys, must you were saying alligators. You were saying when you were taking that fan boat, you actually asked those uh, alligators for directions, and they couldn't give them to you because they can't navigate by architecture, right? <laughs> yeah, because That's the right. swamp was filled with skyscrapers and plazas. That's and right. you're like, there's too yeah. many buildings here, and we don't know where we are. They're Shout like, it. can you? We're looking for we're looking for an example of the Bauhaus style, and the alligators <laughs> could not right. answer. This is a brutalist building. Now, John and quick, David. Quick, Quick, ta- quick, quick tangent to shout out David sure. Reese's podcast, Election Profit Makers, mm-hmm. which is oh, the number thanks. one, the number one podcast for all of your election-oriented uh, results betting needs. Oh. Mm-hmm. it's a it's a weekly podcast between David Starley Kine and David's uh, friend from middle school in North Carolina, John Kimball, talking about the the various uh, uh, investments they're making on the political markets on predicted.org. But there's a huge sideline to the podcast talking about the best skylines in the world. And let me tell you something yeah. right now. Those alligators don't know even a... <laughs> uh-huh. they, don't know, they, they don't know what a skyline looks like. They can't uh-huh. even... You know what I mean? They, hard they assume it's just up. chili. <laughs> now, They're only familiar with the chili brand. <laughs> be- before we move on, I do want to ask one question regarding this... <laughs> No, no. I, I know I have you've a got question. a pretty. I know you've got a pretty packed agenda, Dan. No, yeah. no. I, I have a question regarding this fan boat tour. Now, on your yeah. tour, as as happened on my tour, and I don't want to brag that I've got fan boat tour money, but um, but now, apparently not. Apparently no. not wedding bar drink money. No, well, no. Yeah, I, that's well, right. That's the opposite, my friend. I was complaining <laughs> about it, but I was. I was you offering... know me, Dan McCoy, open bar, fanboy, to- fan, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, Dan open, McCoy. I am an open bar fanboy. Thank open you. bar, fanboat tour. <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to know whether on your tour, as on my tour, the guide used uh, uh, giant marshmallows to get the alligators to come. No? no. I mar- see, wait, I what? See. With a marshmallow shooter? Uh, David's face was so disgusted by the idea. I was told <laughs> yes. that because it was like a bigger contrast against the water, the white marshmallow, that the alligators would come uh, to the boat and have their what? marshmallow oh. treat. No, yeah, yeah. He he doesn't mean it that way, Stuart. It, the <laughs> okay. alligators were not were not orgasmic at the sight of these say, marshmallows. I mean, 
I, that's why they're so lazy, right? <laughs> I mean, it seemed Wait, to work. Would they actually eat the marshmallows, or they, they would just love... come closer to investigate it? No, they loved these marshmallows. These alligators oh. had a sweet tooth, or several. That makes yeah. me sad to think about animals eating processed food. We did not have the marshmallow lure. Mm. We were offered plastic tubs of marshmallow fluff to throw at the alligators. And we did that, and we just bounced them <laughs> off their heads, clunk, 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 <laughs> over and over again. And the alligators were like, what, what, what? Oh, mm -hmm. sorry, what's the skyline? I don't even know. They were so <laughs> stupid. So, guys, okay. I've never written a TV show. Yeah. But was there a point when you were thinking about making the main character a dinosaur? <laughs> hmm. There, there, no. is, there is a movie that I'm thinking of. Is it Theodore Rex? And I don't know the name of it. Say it again. Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg, where she's yeah, partnered with a with a dinosaur cop. <laughs> with snakes. Yeah. Is that real? Detectives? That's a real movie. It's set in the future. Whoopi Goldberg's a future cop, and she's partnered with a clumsy dinosaur cop. And it's the movie that I believe the producers had to sue her to force her to appear in it because she. It's, it's weird though because dinosaurs. Is it animated? Past, Elliot. It is not animated. It is a live action film. The what dinosaur kind of played dinosaur by a man in a suit. Uh, he's like a little tyrannosaurus. He's like a human-sized tyrannosaurus rex, and he oh, wears sneakers, okay. I believe. I've been, yeah. I've been dialing up a, a photo so we can all... I don't know if that's oh, visible. Oh, yeah, there he is. Gosh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that really looks like one of those Theater fake rex. movies they make. Wow. Yeah, it looks like it looks I mean, like a poster tell... in the background of a movie. <laughs> yeah, right. You can tell from that poster that that dinosaur has an attitude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> We're not as creative as the people he who doesn't... came up with Theodore Rex. It's all humans in our in our world. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. 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 Sorry if I ruined your uh, promotions here, guys. No, it's just. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, now we your target we have demo is in Dino fans. The, in the heart of our show, but that's fine. We can um, figure that out. I, I mean, usually, Stuart, uh, they don't have, when they're promoting something, they don't want the host to give a glimpse of something more beautiful that might have been. Right. But <laughs> I don't want to. I, uh, I really appreciate uh, David Reese's incredibly professional segue back to promoting our show but can we go back to theodore rex for a second <laughs> that is a movie that i never watched even though i worked in a, a, a video rental place when it came out and i could have easily watched it five times for nothing <laughs> has anyone ever Rags. seen it i have only I ever seen clips of it i've never seen it all the way through yeah the 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 vhs cover fascinated for me for years but i've never seen it no I read the book yeah, Theodore Rex, that's but that's volume two of Edmund Morris's Theodore Roosevelt series. So that's mm -hmm. not related to the film at all. <laughs> all right. I just it's one of those know properties what... that gets optioned, and then 20 years later, they finally make something <laughs> yeah. with it, and it's just like a game of telephone, and it just becomes something so completely different. <laughs> they're, they're like, Eddie, good news. They're finally pulling right. the plug on Theodore Rex. Oh, the story of his presidency? Uh, right. Yeah, they made a few changes. Right. Uh, yeah. It's now called it? John <laughs> Carter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a book series, or at least one book, about a world where there's a dinosaur that is a detective and wears a human suit and, because dinosaurs are secretly still living among us, but they wear human suits to blend in. Sure. And I don't remember what it's called, and I have not read it. Is that like, for kids? Just No, it is not for kids. I think it's, it's Just a like a three-piece suit? And like a human mask. Oh, is it okay. a self-published erotica, that kind of stuff that you see on Amazon? Is it like that? Uh, I haven't read it, so I'm going to have to assume yes. 
Right. But uh, no, no, it's, it was a real book from a real publisher. That The Dinosaur Erotica is hilarious, though. Well, I like, mean, pounded in the butt by the by a velociraptor or whatever? That's the title, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that was uh, based on The Power Broker by Robert Carroll, but it just went <laughs> through a lot of changes over the years. Bobby, Bobby cares. We got a good, some good news. They're finally making that power, they're pulling the trigger on that Power Broker book. Right. Oh, good, who's going to play Robert Carroll? Ooh, he's not in it anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And when I say that that, that uh, dinosaur erotica is hilarious, I in no way mean to judge or belittle those who are aroused by dinosaur erotica. Merely uh-huh. to say that it, to me, it is a humorous assemblage of parts. Look, I mean, Elliot. Let's say let's let's just say this: even normal sex is hilarious. Like, normal any, sex like, is hilarious, unless you're like the person involved in it and you're like super into it. Like, it is objectively hilarious, and like. <laughs> I feel I feel bad. I use the word normal sex as if there's such a thing as normal sex. There's not such a thing as normal sex. All sex, I meant to say, is hilarious from from it's all what is... a humorous assemblage of parts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the human body. Right. There's a yeah. I forget what stand up was it was it like Rita Rudner or someone who referred to I've I think I've talked about this in the Flophouse before and I've forgotten, but it referred to a, a naked man is looking like a half-decorated Christmas tree, and I've always thought that was <laughs> such a funny line. <laughs> and like, we'll think about it while I'm getting changed, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. Right. Oh. I there. There's a time during quarantine where I was like, I'm just going to embrace the fact that I'm 42 <laughs> years old, and I'm not going to worry about the fact that I'm walking nude through my home wearing woolen slippers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that like, you should was... worry about that a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm just like, you know what? I've got a pot belly. I'm naked but for footwear, and I don't care. <laughs> Is it cold where you are? Why are you wearing wool slippers? Uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. I wear slippers because I do not like the feeling of like dirt being picked up on my feet, and I have hardwood floors, and yeah. no matter how clean you get your floors, you're just going to get like crud on your feet. So, Okay. The, de- yeah, the detective in me just felt like something wasn't adding up with that story. Yeah, so I had that's to right. You know, you know, you gotta, you gotta follow, you gotta unravel every clue. Mm-hmm. Also, any any detective would notice that the lint on Dan's feet matches only one apartment in all of Brooklyn. Right, and then he would be he would be picked for the for the suspect immediately because he was walking around with Dan McCoy lint floor lint on his feet. I mean, speaking of detectives, which was originally our idea for this mini. That anonymous, was always, uh, anonymous Rex is the name of the novel, Elliot. Anonymous Rex. Okay, thank you. By that Eric was Garcia. To me, That's, the most hilarious. Sorry, go on. I'm, I don't. I was to say that that novel is not. I don't think related to Theodore Rex in any way, other than no. Also, positing a world where humans and dinosaurs coexist, but not in like a biblical way, just in like a film noir type way. Okay. Right. It was it was followed by a prequel called Casual Rex Ugh. in 2002. <laughs> oh, and then boy. a sequel called Hot and Sweaty Rex, uh-huh. circling back yeah. around to uh, yeah. dinosaur porn. Yeah, in let's talk about Rex Baby. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and I just course, I, I, I wanted to close that loop. Rump shaker. Yeah. And then yeah, and then right. of course the last book uh, Homo Rexual. All I want to do is solve <laughs> mysteries in a human suit. I'm Anonymous Rex. That's a, that's a song, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Dan, detectives. I am a big fan of Sherlock Holmes, as are millions and millions of people over the years. But like, no, you're as the only child, one. 
Lewinsky uh, made a huge impression on me, and I just loved when the Sherlock fact Holmes that... was a child. He made an impression on you. No, when I was a child, Ellie. When I was okay. a child. Oh, because I was going to say was... you're going to love Encyclopedia Brown. All of my heroes <laughs> were outdated figures when I was a child. I loved Sherlock Holmes. I loved Robin Hood, but um, mm-hmm. no, I and, and Prime Minister Disraeli. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Voltaire. Uh, no, I just I I loved that there would be these things where there would be dirt on someone's shoes and Holmes would be like, oh, I wrote a monograph on the different types of dirt in London. I, mean, I right. happen to be an expert. Like, anything that would come up, Holmes wrote a monograph on it. Whether, you know, like, oh, this is pipe ash, and I know exactly what type of pipe ash this is. And, look, I don't I don't have a problem with it. Like the Like, the beauty of the Holmes stories was always that the characters were so like indelibly written and uh lovable for all their uh for all home's arrogance but it was like kind of an early uh uh example of like oh this character will have whatever superpower is necessary at the moment yeah and you know the the appeal of Holmes too i think is uh very powerful um because he presents as a highly competent and successful sexless weird and as I was a sexless weird growing yeah. up and arguably still, the the, the detective the detective who is able to uh, uh, live outside of society, as I think most classic whodunit detectives do, and connect connect the dots to explain how humans live and exist and 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 yet remain apart from them, that was very seductive to me. Like I can see I can see how humans interact with each other, but I don't have to be a part of them. And I'll describe what kind of what kind of dust is on their suit jacket or whatever. I think I think that's an interesting point because like I do think that the most sort of lovable detectives are the ones that seem to exist the most apart from society. Like for instance, there is a there's a reason why it is a like funny trope that a bunch of detectives live off on houseboats somewhere because that's a uh-huh. weird way to live. <laughs> Take it away, or, John. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have a thing on this? Do you have a tight five on houseboats? Just that my character in Dicktown, uh, John uh, John Hunchman, lives on a houseboat. That's Same amazing. deal. What's the name uh, of the yeah. boat? Uh, oh, that's uh, there's a big reveal at oh, the so season finale. Spoiler in yeah. the penultimate episode, I think. Okay, then, is, I won't, then don't tell me. Don't tell me. It is it is unnamed, but then the name is revealed at the end. Ah, okay. It's, uh, that's I mean, based on Travis McGee's books, right, John? Because you were a big Travis McGee fan. Well, it was it was two things because you, David, really wanted to create a um, Simon and Simon type TV show, right? Didn't you want to do a Simon and Simon? inspiration something yeah guys hanging out on the water like living in that liminal space between the water and the land i guess is that simon and right. simon or hardcastle and mccormick miami vice he lives on a boat on a houseboat that's There's right a, a lot Traffic of that lives stuff. on a houseboat yeah, yeah. right and tra and travis mcgee is a famous essentially a detective uh created by johnny mcdonald in the late 60s through the early 80s like 25 to 500 novels and he always lives on a houseboat and so he as you say, Dan, he like he lives apart um, yeah. from regular society, and in Dicktown, uh, the character that I play, John Hunchman, gets a houseboat specifically because he wants to be that kind of detective. It's like it's a sad aspirational purchase <laughs> for him. It's not. It's not that he actually lives on the 
on the limits of of uh, civilization. <laughs> it's that he want he wants to pretend that he does. So no, and that's that's and, terrific. And is, and I, sorry, and is that his way? Is that his way of uh, becoming a like a grown up detective, whereas he was like a like a kid detective when he was yeah. younger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought he thought this was going to be buying a house, but was was the the next step into becoming uh, an adult. Yeah. who would eventually have adult clients, but that never materialized for him. And he just uh-huh. start, kept working for teenagers and ended up being weirder and weirder and le- legitimately more and more outside of mainstream society. Uh, yeah, I feel like he only the, has one the, friend who is David, David Purifoy, played by David Rees. The, the appeal of, of Houseboats, I think, is kind of focused on teenagers like i think the older yeah. you get the more nervous you get about the idea of going to somebody's house that is also a boat <laughs> um in zodiac does robert downey jr's character wind up on a houseboat yeah he, does. he ends yeah, up on a houseboat just yeah. playing pong all day yeah 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 speaking of good who does oh, i haven't seen that movie in a oh long it's a great movie. such a great movie such a terrific movie yeah and there's a yeah. houseboat on it and the books that I've been reading a lot of in quarantine, the Jack Reacher novels by Lee Child. Jack Reacher doesn't live on a houseboat, but he's a drifter. He has no fixed address, and he just travels around via bus around America. And the only, his only possessions are a um, folding collapsible toothbrush and a very tiny billfold. He only started carrying photo ID after 9-11. So there was a time when he just carried cash and a folding toothbrush. And when he, his relationship to his wardrobe is very interesting. So Jack Reacher, have you guys ever read these books? I read read, one of them. Okay. And I I remember the possession I remember the most is his hands that are the size of Christmas hams. Yeah, yeah. He's he's six foot five. He's a former military uh, police investigator. He, got, he was a victim of post-Cold War downsizing, and now he travels America stumbling into mysteries and solving them and beating the shit out of people and also no. shooting them with the toughest guns. But <laughs> no, his re- no, he his sounds re- like the villain of every other story. <laughs> right. No, he's a good guy. But he is a dr- you know, he's in a houseboat of the mind. He has no fixed address. He has no, he has no real, like, he, you know, obviously he makes love to a lot of beautiful and independent women but none of those relationships really last but what i wanted to say about his clothes because they're like why don't why don't you ever take me over to your place and he's like well i live on a bus right (laughs) he um drifter i thought i thought um, you'd take me out to like a nice dinner i don't have any other clothes let me tell you about his clothes this is very interesting elliot listen to this he does something okay to put this in context when I was in the 90s, <laughs> when I was living in the uh-huh. 90s, uh-huh. I studied abroad in England. And one of my flatmates was a British guy who came from a little bit of money. And he said the best thing about going to Istanbul was the clothes were so cheap that you could buy a new T-shirt every day. And at the end of the day, just throw it in the garbage and buy a new one. <laughs> so Jack, reached, I always, that always stuck rela- with me. You'll as relate like, to this guy, Dan. This is a, one of your... <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So Jack Reacher does the same thing. He buys his clothes at hardware stores. He buys the most utilitarian cheap clothes that he can. And at the end of the night, if he's lucky enough to be sleeping in a bed, <laughs> he takes off all his clothes and he puts them under the mattress to press them as he sleeps on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he doesn't have an ironing board or a steamer. So he yeah. sleeps on his clothes and then the next morning he wakes up and they're pressed. And then after a few days, he throws them in the garbage and buys a new set of clothes. Isn't that cool? 
Uh, you mean, I mean, you mean he throws it in the garbage and then goes into a hardware store and <laughs> yeah. yeah, and says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the order yeah. probably, I assume, is a little different than as as reported. But no, I, I, I read the book I read, I liked quite a bit. I was like, I don't know whether you guys kind of went through this uh, progression. But when I was a much younger person, I was like much snobbier. Yeah, I started out, I started okay. out younger. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> I got older. Yeah, that's how it goes. Wait, Not you're, for everybody. Dan, you're saying you were snobbier? Then when you were critiquing David Reese's friend for having a cash bar? I was snobbier when I was younger. And then as I uh-huh. grew older, I embraced the fact that I was turning into a middle-aged man. And I'm like, yeah, I will read these airport thrillers and I will enjoy them. Yeah. They're the best. And I think yeah. oh, they're, they're pretty the good. Which one did you and- read? I think I read, the, I think I read the first one. I think I really was that kind of person. With his brother. Like, Oh, maybe not. I did. Here's the thing. I actually, this is. I went through this thing where I'm like, okay, which of these Lee Child, Jack Reacher books today? And I like went down the list in Amazon. I'm like, none of this sounds familiar to me. Right. But like, that's kind of the beauty of them because like they all could be the one I read. Well, that's yeah, like, I think that's yeah. kind of deliberate. It becomes a sludge, and you can't separate <laughs> out which event happened in which novel. Yeah. And well, it's more like, like if- each novel hits these beats, these stations of the cross. Reacher stumbles <laughs> no. into yeah. a new location. A woman needs his help. He gets in over his head for a while, and then he just goes buck wild and kills a bunch of bad guys. And, <laughs> and, that, like, and that's yeah. that's the detective template. I mean, my my right. mom, who is no longer alive loved reading detective fiction and she read uh the georges simonon novels all the agatha christie's uh, all the pd james everything and many a time when i was you know sort of in the in the in the prime of my brain development 18 19 years old my mom would be reading a book and just say oh i've read this before totally and i would la- yeah, yeah i would laugh and laugh at her <laughs> My own mom. Like, how do you not know what books you've read? How can you not remember? And now I appreciate, as someone who is now her age, like, the, these books are not meant to necessarily exist as individual works of fiction, but to be windows into a world that you want to revisit from time to time and be and to connect with characters that you care about and, and are a consolation to you. In, in archetizing rather than stimulating. Yeah, exactly yeah. so. And, you know, many a time I would wander, you know, through the house and see her sleeping soundly with a book propped over her closed eyes because it totally calmed her down and let her sleep. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think these characters are not designed to be. I mean, Tra- Travis McGee Travis grew over the course of the various novels that he was in. But for the most part, it's just like you're hanging out with your friends. And uh, and the friends are consoling to you, especially because they are outsiders. And either that's that makes you feel comforted because you are also feel like an outsider or that makes you feel like if you're a middle aged dad, it's really cool to read about a guy who buys his clothes from the hardware store and puts it <laughs> under his mattress and then throws yeah. it away because this the, this guy is enjoying a life of perfect freedom. And um, and, and you've uh, you've taken on the responsibilities of adulthood and you don't want them. I just or always have, imagine. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I just always imagine him rinsing out his underpants in the hotel sink at the end of the day. Yeah, he does that hang- too. He, I mean, he, yeah. He, well, he, he washes, he washes his intimates in the sink. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
which, which is like, I, it, I feel like that is a fair price to pay for total freedom is like, at the end of the day, you're still going to have to wash out your underpants in the sink and then hope they dry by tomorrow morning. Right, yeah. Yeah, because it's harder to like kick other people's butts when you're squishing around in, in wet mm, underpants. you're dank. It is very, <laughs> it, it is interesting to me that this world of... Uh, mur- this world of murder, uh, largely, oh. mostly murder, is so sort of comforting because, like, I mean, yeah. like, it, it, you know, there's the word for it, cozy mysteries. Like, Audrey is a big aficionado of cozy mysteries. I'm working from home writing still for The Daily Show, but I hear her in the other room, list, like, watching cozy mysteries. And I find that cozy because I grew up with my parents watching mystery on PBS, oh, the coziest of right. mysteries. And so Edward Corey title all sequence. Down the line. Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to that. I used to watch the title sequence and then as soon as it's over I would be like not interested and I would turn it off. <laughs> but I love that title sequence so much. Well let me if I'm if I, I what? I'm hey gonna, Dan I'm, hey Dan. Yes. Excuse, uh, Elliot, excuse me for a moment. Sure, sure. Dan, could you could you define for your listeners who may not know the term what a cozy mystery is? Uh, I would think, I tend to think that a cozy mystery is not so much, so there's the hard-boiled American style, which is your Philip Marlowe's and stuff, and often, uh, also in an American tradition, the detective is part of the police force. A cozy mystery, it's more like there is this outsider character who is uh, uh, often eccentric, and these mysteries will take place and say, a manor house where uh, there's a, a limited pool of uh, suspects or a small English countryside village or on yeah. a train. Uh, like an Agatha, Agatha Christie. Yes. Like, clo- not necessarily locked room mystery, but a but a closed environment mystery. Mm-hmm. And they're not, and the name- they're not gritty. Yes. They're not yeah. gritty. As much as anyone dying can be charming, these cozy mysteries are that. I mean, that's murder. She wrote. I mean, that should be yes. a horrifying 100%. show. Yeah. Wherever right. this woman goes, she's confronted with murder, <laughs> followed with by violent, death, or preceded end, by death. Yeah, yeah, and and no one puts two and two together that she's doing it. Yeah. That she's right. the yeah. one link between all these murders. But like, her life should be unending, unending nightmare. I mean, and she worked at like, that uh, barber shop uh, slash pie shop where everyone kept disappearing. <laughs> Yeah, and she has a history of making arrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she it's, is yeah. Fletcher. Yeah, yeah, and she and she did try. I mean, luckily uh, for all of us, she was assassinated at that presidential convention uh, before she could set up a communist agent as president of the United States with her brainwashed but son not, slash but lover. But not before, but not before she was on the um, the the SS Karnak, which is the ship that Hercule Poirot boards in Murder on the Nile. The 1978 movie with Peter Ustinov as Hercule Poirot, which really sent Poirot into the stratosphere of American celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Poirot couldn't go anywhere after that without getting mobbed. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, 
my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a Flobie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Whitey the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film and it's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to ask you what you think of the Ustinov Poirot, because that is the Poirot that I was introduced to First, and I know it's not the most <laughs> oh, wow. accurate oh, get, Poirot. It's not a the big most. Thumbs down David Suchet, David. we can all agree, is the most is the finest of the Poirots. But like, what what is your feeling on Peter Ustinov? Well, first of all, I heart I heartily disagree with your uh, with your theory that David oh Suchet is the best of the Poirots. Okay, well, see the one from the TV show. Yes. Yeah, you watched that, right, David? Yeah, I like that guy. Dad. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Who's he's better? Great. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So, <laughs> the teaser. Talk about a master of suspense. I I spent some time this afternoon revisiting the Ustinov Poirots. That's why it's not like I've I'm standing by all the time ready to cite a a, a Poirot movie that Angela Lansbury was in. I happen to be watching parts of them this afternoon. And so Poirot hit the cinema the American cinema hard with Albert Finney as Poirot in 1974's Murder on the Orient Express with Sean Connery. I was giving, yeah, that's um, what I was giving a thumbs down to. That movie is, is ugh. It's a, it's a slog. Sidney Lumet directed. I just want to. Sidney Lumet directed. It really, yes, that's right. that movie really, watching that movie really makes you feel like a cigarette. It's just like <laughs> so <laughs> grimy and brown and everyone just looks sickly and shiny and there's a pallor <laughs> over everything. It's like I mean, that inc- is, it's incredible that it was that it was released. That's exactly what I like about it though. I lo- I love how disgusting Poirot is in it. He's such a strange, off-putting, like grimy, like gross <laughs> man with all that wax in his mustache. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I love it. I love how how sweaty everyone is in that movie. And they're rich. These are supposed to be rich, glamorous people, and they're so, like, sweaty. Oh, it's great. The princess in it is incredible. Wendy Hiller is amazing in it. I will say that. Oh, yeah, right. Wendy Hiller, right, of course. I said I did it. It's really good. (laughs) But, you know, that movie was a huge commercial success. And so they decided, like, we're going to make, like, Poirot is going to be the new Bond. And for in a a brief (laughs) period in the late 70s, they were like building a Poirot cinematic universe, and mm-hmm. and Finney would not come back and play Poirot. Uh, well, 
a good decision as far as I'm concerned. I guess, do you think that the series ended with Ross Poirot? In 1992. Oh, oh shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> wowie zowie. <laughs> the elusive wowie zowie. <laughs> who's going who's to solve the mystery who, of the person who put the spikes in the tire that derailed my old comment? <laughs> oh, no one is, because Elliot confessed by saying that dumb thing. <laughs> So you're saying, so anyway, they were building the Poirot, the PCU. Peter Peter Ustinov came in with Murder on the Nile, which was also in 1978, I think, and that was also a big commercial success. But Peter Ustinov basically turned Poirot into a Muppet, and Murder on the Nile and uh, Evil Under the Sun, 1982, were these like basically dumb, comedic English uh, character actor romps, uh, where they got like Maggie Smith. And um, Diana Rigg and uh, uh, lots and lots of other well-known character actors to just like take a vacation together and film these incredibly dull, soundtrackless, <laughs> like procedurals. Now, here's and they the thing, were, John. They were very successful. I think they were you're cute. right. I think you're right. I think they are very dull. The inexplicable thing is, Child Dan. Loved these movies. Adored Me too, Dan. Them. Me too. Yeah. Okay. But it's probably like how I used to love reading Doonesbury because it made you feel like a grown up. <laughs> it could yeah. Be, could be, wow. Right. right. Mm-hmm. We would go visit family friends and then at night, you know, I would be in some older brother's room or something and there would be all these big Doonesbury anthologies about, I don't know, Watergate and the Ted Offensive or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. And I would, and it's like panel after panel of the White House with the voice balloons coming out of it, and I didn't understand any of the, didn't understand any of the references, and I would just read it and be like, oh, I'm such a little grown up here reading this Doomsbury. Yeah. yeah, usually when I would go into an older kid's room, I would immediately reach for the Doomsberries <laughs> instead of the stuff. stack of like, yeah, instead of the stack of like heavy metals or something, right. But I, th- but I think you you uh, tune into something that is, is very true about sort of detective fiction and mystery fiction broadly defined, because one of, one of the sort of accepted principles of the police procedural on television is that, you know, if you're watching, a, I don't want to malign certain shows because I want to work on television again, but if you're watching a, a CBS police procedural they try to keep the mystery uh, pretty solvable so that the people who are watching them can feel smart. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a charitable description. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I I think it's the same thing. It's sort of like, you know, you, you engage with mystery fiction in order to connect with a character that maybe is able to do the stuff that you can't do. It's aspirational in that way. Like you, they they can say the things that you can say. They they're outside of society. They live in a houseboat. They're fucking around or whatever. And also because it makes you feel intelligent to follow the mystery and maybe solve it before uh, the the character does. You know. Well, I I also wanted to say to that end, like uh, the eccentric the eccentricity of the best detectives. I mean, we are living through a time, for instance, that like. The police are rightfully being here. We go. No, no, no. Like the the police relevance. I get it, Dan. No, no, no. Like the police are rightfully being deeply interrogated as an institution, and I don't want to get 
too deeply into that, but an oft-referenced character on our show is Columbo, and the beauty of Columbo is that he feels so outside that system. He's, he like he yes. feels like a like a warrior from the lower classes who has power and like comes in and fucks with these rich people who think that they're smarter than him. Yeah, I mean det- detective shows and detective fiction and detective movies are different from police shows. Mm-hmm. Because they are about one or two single outsiders uh, who who live away from these systems and are able to interrogate them and and find a solution and justice for people who are wronged by those systems. You know, Lestrade, Lestrade in Sherlock Holmes is a buffoon. Like, uh, Sherlock Holmes, like one of the great... Uh, one of the great innovations, I thought... Of the Stephen Moffat, um, what's his, the other guy's name? Uh, Mark Gaddis. Mark Gaddis. Mark Gaddis Sherlock, Sherlock series was to openly just have Sherlock himself identify as a high-functioning sociopath. He's not a human being, as we understand it. He is essentially a superhero who exists outside of human law in order to impose a, a better form of justice. And the police are not, not, not part of that justice. Yeah, that that Just is like Encyclopedia Brown's dad. He's kind of an yeah. idiot. Yeah. He exists outside I mean, of human law, like McCavity from the Cats. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and McCavity doesn't exist outside of human law. He's broken every human law. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, that, it's Encyclopedia Brown. You have to imagine that his dad every now and then brings him in and roughs him up and is like, ah, you're getting a little too close, Brown. Why don't, why don't you stop this investigation? <laughs> Got a message from Bugs Meany right here. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. So you are, you are positing a world where they're, uh, in Idaville, the corruption goes all the way to the top, which is, yeah. which is Encyclopedia Brown's dad. He's, he's oh, yeah. taking money from Bugs Meany, and and uh, yeah. they are a, a father-son adversarial relationship. Wow, oh, very much so. I mean, yeah. it, it also, I mean, that's just making just making concrete the fact that every father-son relationship is at heart an adversarial <laughs> relationship. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is just applying it to to legal institutions. You know, yeah. Encyclopedia Brown's dad is Saturn. Whereas Encyclopedia Brown is Zeus. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like, I should have swallowed you in your swaddling clothes, Leroy. If only your if only your mother hadn't fed me a rock instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, you guys, you guys read some books of mythology. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's basically, that's the best review of this podcast. <laughs> You have cut them to the quick in the way that I wish I could. <laughs> now, Dan, I, I mean, it's it's one of those. It's, that's one of those. That's one of those. Chris, that's one of those uh, attacks, though, where it's like, yeah, how else are we going to learn that stuff? What pre- yeah, from first first hand source? Was I going to go go to Rice and talk to Zeus? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a book. You gotta uh, go to so, the boy next door and get a first edition. <laughs> get a first edition yeah. of the Odyssey. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so, Dan, uh, cozy mysteries. I just want to ask, do you think that the difference between a cozy mystery and a hard-boiled mystery is partly that a hard-boiled mystery is, is this kind of fantasy where the world is corruption and you get to identify with the one noble person in it? And cozy, fantasy, cozy mystery is more the fantasy of, like, the world is pretty okay, but there's, like, some dark stuff underneath, and every time it bubbles up, a kindly lady kind of tamps it down and brings order back to chaos. 
Do you think that they're two sides of the same coin that way, or uh, I, no? I no, I I yes, I believe that. It's funny, like this is an idea that in no way originated with the the television program Northern Exposure. But I first encountered it. Cannot the wait. TV cannot program. wait to find out where this where, where this no, is I going. First, like the first time I encountered someone saying what you said just now was through the show Northern Exposure. I remember very distinctly someone saying that the beauty of a mystery is this vision of the world where there is order. Something has come along and disrupted the order, and then the detective comes along and restores order. And that is mm-hmm. what a cozy mystery is. And a hardball mystery is more of to some degree a power fantasy where you are like the toughest person but it is all also occasionally uh uh cynical in a way that is broadly appealing where you're like okay well the world is a cesspool but i persevere was northern exposure a mystery show (laughs) (laughs) it was a show about uh (laughs) i mean to me Uh, a young person small town and like a guy moved there from the big city i thought it was like a soap opera when i I was when i was a kid watching it was a mystery because i could never quite figure out what was going on in it or what it was about i I loved more than the exposure as a kid no it was just they were just talking about the charm of mysteries in a scene and that oh okay that description always stuck with me ever since and and obviously does not originate originate there but it was it was well put in that show (laughs) Northern Exposure was giving you some critical analysis, literary criticism. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. All right. It helped that my parents were, like, nuts for cozy mysteries, and so my dad just, like, took to it. He was like, yes, this is it. This is the best description I've heard. This who, is it. Who were your parents' favorite or detectives? Uh, I they loved the Prime Suspect series. Uh, oh. I think they loved Campion on um, mm-hmm. Mystery. Uh, what's the What's the very dour sort of? He's either Scottish or Northern English uh, detective. Does anyone know who I might be thinking of? I is, think is it the sh- is it a relatively recent show or it's an old show? Uh, I mean, it would have been. When I was growing up, but new. Okay, when I never was mind. Up. There's a relatively new show where that's about a really dour, I think, Scottish detective, and and my wife and I started watching it, and I was like, "This is this is too bleak for me." <laughs> it's like like it was one of those shows where at a certain point you expected the hero to just be like, "Why am I even bothering solving this mystery?" Ugh, <laughs> like walking away. <laughs> I uh, remember when so I, I discovered that there was literally a mystery show from uh, England called Rosemary and Time about. Uh, <laughs> Gardeners who solved mysteries, and I'm like, that really? sounds like a parody. Pretty cozy. A- yes. Yeah, that's wicked before, cozy. Uh, before we started recording the episode, uh, that uh, the name of our uh, of our mutual friend Sam Means came up, and I and it, this reminds me of he and I when we both worked at the Daily Show, we would occasionally go on Amazon and just look up different mystery series to laugh <laughs> about them, and one of them was the one where the chef at the White House solves different mysteries. Uh, sure. <laughs> And there was the, the uh, and of course, this is not a mystery series. Our favorite one to look up, we would go back many times to look up the titles in the uh, Babies and Billionaires romance novel series, where every story is a different one that involves a baby and a billionaire in some way. Very specific, very specific psychological desires. Yeah. 
But uh, there's a lot of uh, yeah. There's a lot of. It seems like anyone in a, in the world, if they live in a novel, could end up solving a mystery someday. Can I ask you guys a question about a mystery movie? Because Mystery Men? No, mm-hmm. different one. Oh. Because uh, I can't remember if it's a detective movie, but I love this movie. I think it's so terrific. Gosford Park. There's Yo, a mystery. That's a in mystery it. Yes. movie. Yeah, that's yeah. a mystery. Yeah, but is there a detective in it? There uh, is, right? So a detective comes must come to the manor. It's not like they just decide to solve it on their own. I can't. But I don't, does does right. Kelly McDonald's character sort of turn out to be the kind of the protagonist? I don't even remember. I, I love no, that. I don't movie, remember. That movie is so, so good. And I think what's interesting when you guys talk about the cozy versus the hard-boiled, that movie, because it has that kind of upstairs-downstairs element, right? There's the yeah. all the rich people, and then there's all the sta- the house staff. Um, and the mystery kind of turns on, the, on these uh, unspoken relationships between those two populations. It really kind of hits that sweet spot of cozy mystery and then gritty, kind of realistic very not cynical but very frank about the class the class distinctions that maybe is the subtext of something grittier like columbo or something right mm-hmm. uh yeah. it's just it's it's so good i'm sure i'm sure your listeners are love movies and they've already seen it but it's interesting to think about in the context of types of mysteries and types of detective whodunits What's weird about the Flophouse podcast is that most of their listeners uh-huh. hate movies and have never watched one. Oh, wow. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah. Kind of like the hosts. <laughs> what's the last movie you guys saw? What's the last movie you fellas saw in a movie theater before coronavirus? Oh, good question. Oh, boy. Um, uh, cats. I can tell you exactly, but I have to. Oh, Birds of Prey. Oh, wait. No, I saw Cats a second time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, saw, I saw Cats so I could do it for the Flophouse because I don't get to the theater that often. Oh, no. You know what? Cats was actually Cats was the last movie I saw, but the last movie I saw, not for the Flophouse in the theater, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Got it. When uh, they they kind of re-released mm-hmm. that mini mini league. Cats was my last uh, movie in the theater too. I I, I uh, it's one of those things where like I should feel bad that that was the last movie I saw in theater, but it was exactly the right movie for me to see in the theater last because mm-hmm. it was such a such a positive experience. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we and all of culture agree that Cats is the last movie. <laughs> yeah, no need to make anymore. Yeah. Stu Wellington, what's up? Yeah, what's up? Do you have a a, a favorite detective or mystery movie or you know or book or anything? You know, I like my mom. My mom was always a big uh, mystery fan, uh, and I know you didn't ask me about my mom. You asked me, uh, but like my mom no. watches the what is it midsummer murders all the time the show that has like yeah. a zillion episodes um but no you know i i don't i was more of like a i was always more of like a war adventure fiction guy oh, like a bernard guy. cornwell type guy yeah i'm a real tough guy yeah. so that was more my that was kind of more my vibe uh are you really like what were you reading are you aggressive in nightclubs exclusively <laughs> <laughs> When you take me out of the nightclub, I'm a lamb. But you put me back in there, I'm a lion. Okay. And that lion is acting aggressively. Okay, got Gonna it. roar. I, <laughs> I have to say about Stuart, I mean, I don't know whether this is because he's a bartender and it's a skill he's learned, or whether it's just um, who he is as a person. I've never seen someone so skillful at de-escalating any sort of aggression <laughs> as Stuart. 
It's weird. When I first started bartending, I came straight from uh, running hobby stores where I dealt mainly with teenage boys uh, who who were not particularly good at dealing with uh, social situations. So when I first started talking to drunk guys, I kind of treated them like they were nerdy teenage boys, uh-huh. <laughs> and that that did not go well. <laughs> they would, they would I was take like, offense. I'm gonna fuck with these guys a little bit. Right. Not a good idea. Yeah. Because yeah. see, the problem is when you're you know a big, tall, handsome guy who always sounds sarcastic. That's the absolute <laughs> first person a drunk person wants to punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think David Reese, you've met your match in Stuart Wellington, big, tall, handsome guy who always sounds sarcastic. The two uh-huh. of you, like, it's like an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. What do you bench? You, what do you bench? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, what, wait, what's what's a lot, but not so much How to fast can you do a oh, Wednesday oh, Times perfect. crossword? How fast can you do the a thing- Wednesday New York Times crossword? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I suffer for being, you know, tall and handsome, but at least I'm also very stupid. <laughs> what okay. I love about Stuart is he's unabashed I, at calling himself I, handsome. I, I but think, I will say... I think I, mean, I want to start writing... I want to start writing a series of detective novels starring a Stu Wellington... Uh-huh. First of all, Stu Wellington is a great detective name. Yeah, it's a pretty Movie sick names. name. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stuart Lenton Wellington. Yeah. Like, t- tall and handsome, but stupid, but a de-escalator <laughs> by, at heart. Uh-huh. And, he, and, he, and I'm, I'm going to ignore the bartender part. He is uh-huh. working at a hobby store and, sol- <laughs> yeah. and solving crimes out of the hobby store. Yeah. That's a cozy mystery for me. Oh, for totally. Sure. Most, the hobby store thing would mo- be great. There's You could have... Yeah, like models. There could be a model of a house or something, and that t- that yep. ties into the solution of the mystery. Or a remote controlled car that you have to right. use or glue. You know, you know about all these epoxies and resins and stuff. Yeah, little yep. tiny brushes like that this. they use to paint their D and D. You could do a whole mystery about computer D and D figurines and how one yeah. of them went missing yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, and yep, and, and Gary Gygax, <laughs> like he, like Gary Gygax, sure, the yeah. monster manual could yeah. be in it too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Stu, if yeah, I'm not mistaken, it. you wrote a monograph on the 19 different kinds of pewter orcs that are available I did, right now. I did, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I, I don't like to bring it up on the podcast. because. So you're like Sherlock like, you Holmes. Know, like you will have written a monograph for everything that comes up. Uh-huh. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. hobby oh, yeah. store, the <laughs> hobby store homicides or whatever it's the, called. Uh, and and yeah, the the every episode of hobby store homicides would <laughs> would end in a confession, a confession that I managed to get without any attempt to actually, without right. even knowing there was a mystery going <laughs> and, on. And guess what? The, the best thing is that your catchphrase is something like, "Solving crimes isn't my job; it's just a hobby." Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> Running the hobby store is my job. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could really play yeah. in that space between avocation and and uh, vocation. Hobby when, when, versus when, duty. When, you know, when hobbies are your work, life becomes a hobby. Yeah, well, life, more yeah. A... Sure, yeah, yeah. And you could ride a hobby horse. <laughs> <laughs> yep. When solving mysteries is your hobby, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> Hodgman, I think you, you should uh, write one. That that would be good. Yeah. yeah, you the stu, you miss, the you miss 100% mysteries. of the mysteries you don't solve. Wait. No, wait. <laughs> no, that's true, too. That's true. There's no I in mystery. Yeah, there's no I in mystery. Is a hobby mystery series or a hockey mystery series now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, if Kevin Smith's producing, I think it could be both, right? <laughs> that's right. 
I mean, speaking of tall, handsome people, I, I do have to say, like, you are appearing to me in two uh, boxes, Skype boxes, uh, above uh-huh. and below one another. You could be related, David and, and Oh, Stuart. okay. Well, I, yeah, we I both have mustache. We both have yeah. coronavirus mustaches, I think. Jesus, right? Dan, why don't you yeah, offer to buy do. them both a drink? Right. I mean, because <laughs> well, Dan doesn't buy drinks, help. open bar only. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I mean, he doesn't I, care. It's... He doesn't care how how close a friend he's seeing get married. Open bar or bust. Can I ask you a yeah. quick question about de-escalating bar fights? Uh huh. Because I, because I have been in. Before I left, before I used to live in the Hudson Valley, and I broke okay. tried to break up a couple bar fights uh-huh. when I was there, and then I tr- and then I got involved in a melee in Manhattan once to, to uh-huh. try to pull somebody off. What's the key? I mean, if they're already going at it, isn't it too late for verbal de-escalation? You just kind of have to physically get in there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, if they're already going at it, you really can't do anything about it. Right. I mean, for the vast majority of de-escalation... Well, you, get, you, I, get, you get your phone out and you start yelling, World Star, World Star. Right. That's what yeah. you do, uh-huh. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I usually, if, if, I, if it's an actual problem person at the bar... Uh, I usually turn to my wife, who is much better at doing this, and, you know, she'll do things like turn off the music and turn all the lights up and say she's not going to serve anybody until this asshole leaves. Oh, wow. You know, that sort of thing. Um, because she's a professional. Right. Uh, and not, you know, just not just a handsome <laughs> drifter like me right. who just bumbles through life. Right. <laughs> Presses and sleep, his clothes And under sleeps his on a mattress on his clothes. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to keep them things crisp. Uh, the... Your wife is like, we like... have an iron. Shard's like, we have an iron. You don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> you live in a you house. You have a home now. I'm your, I'm your wife. Right. Like, you have a dresser. You don't have to keep throwing your clothes in the garbage <laughs> than walking naked to the hardware store. Which, you do walk being a in line. Brooklyn... You do What's walk that? a line, Stuart, though, where you're like, relent- you're, you're both relentlessly indulgent and subtly, like, you're doing, like, psyops on the person where you're like, shutting it down like and i'm not redirecting quite sure well, yeah what's happening redirecting the energy yeah yeah i mean that's that's all part of it i mean it's it's similar to like any kind of a bar conversation because you can't like you don't want to get stuck there forever like just because some guy really wants to explain why he shouldn't feel bad for loving revenge of the nerds like hey man i got a job to do uh how can i not have this heart to heart with this sad wow. guy um and Sorry, how does Dan, Dan take that? Wow, I, I, thought, I thought we had, a, I thought we were whoa, having whoa, a really good whoa. conversation, Stu. Whoa, whoa. I didn't realize that you felt that way about let my us, Revenge of the Nerds. Let me report that I have never been a fan of Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, but you weren't a fan of it, Dan, because you thought the jocks were right to beat up the nerds. It wasn't. It was <laughs> those still nerds, wrong. Those nerds, yes. <laughs> Turns out those nerds were the villains. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, for me it was always that I I was mad that they that they cheated in all the games. <laughs> like clearly the rules say that you can't if you have to drink a beer and then ride a little uh, tricycle, uh, you can't take a pill that prevents you from getting drunk. That's not fair. Mm, let's check the yeah. rule book. There isn't one. <laughs> right, because this is dumb. <laughs> the rule book says this is dumb. Stop it. Uh, guys, look. That wasn't a great note to end on, but on the other hand, <laughs> well, let's let's not end on it, Dan. Okay. You, ha- I, I set up a, I set up a thing, a tease. 
Who is the greatest Hercule Poirot in film? Oh shit! Mm-hmm. I do want to know that. Who is the greatest Hercule Poirot in yeah. your in your opinion, Mister John Hodgman? Of, speaking of tall, handsome drifters, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh, greatest fuck Hercule off. Poirot in cinema. Fuck <laughs> off. Oh, wow! Off. I shall I shall not fuck off. Wow! I, I shall I shall fuck what? directly had, on. For years, I have had such respect for you. To the degree that, like, you've intimidated me. I, Dan, Dan I is rending his your garments. Approval, and now I find that the emperor has no clothes. Kenneth Branagh, come yeah, on! I don't, I don't have any clothes because I'm lying down on a mattress trying to press my underwear. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to sit here in front of you, Dan. Mm. Dilettante, trust fund, classist, open bar, <laughs> snob. Wait, hold on, that is not yep. my life. But okay, sure. Well, for the for the purposes of this podcast, let's pretend that's true. No, I know that's I know that's not you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express, directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot, is a great film. But I will say. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I was utterly flabbergasted when I saw that guy's mustache. I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) No, he does look like a Kurt Russell character, much more than Hercule Poirot, as as one might I was saying today... Yeah, well, first of all, Hercule Poirot, as we know from Peter Ustinov, and David Suchet, and even Albert Finney, is supposed to be a... A short, stout, gourmand, v- vain shithead that everyone hates. <laughs> and instead, we got the trailer for Murder on the Orient Express, which is a tall, skinny, honestly Slenderman-type Hercule Poirot with a mustache that was growing into his ears, walking on top of the train... To the tune of Believer by Imagine Dragons. And I'm like, well, this is not my daddy's or Poirot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and as dumb as that seemed to me, I watched it and there was one moment that utterly redeemed the, mo- the movie for me. Which is that uh, as, m- as many Hercule Poirot books and movies as I have watched... I never under I never understood him as a human being until Kenneth Branagh stepped in shit in the movie in the what? beginning. Yeah. In human shit? No, it was animal shit. Oh. Humans are animals. <laughs> David's no longer interested. <laughs> The, that would be an interesting an interesting twist if he gets on the train and steps into human shit and they're like, uh, the, the, by the way, the toilets are all backed up. The system is not working. <laughs> but we would really appreciate you solving the mystery. And so it, that's something they just have to deal with all movie. And Branagh's interpretation as Hercule Poirot as a coprophage, someone who eats shit for pleasure, right. was really <laughs> interesting to me. No, I'm glad that he does it for pleasure and not for sustenance, because I don't think there's a lot of nutritional value <laughs> no, there. That's no, 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 I don't want to get into another human centipede conversation, Stuart. <laughs> Why? Because you're okay. wrong all the time, Dan. The, yeah, the, yeah. the, the greatest position? detective film of all time, Human Centipede. <laughs> but in 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 Murder on the Orient Express 2017, as its official title is, uh-huh. Kenneth Branagh as Poirot 
is walking to the scene of a crime early in the film, not related to the uh, the train, a non-train crime. He steps in shit. He seethes, steps back, and then steps in shit again with his other foot. And he says, "It's." Uh, I'm paraphrasing. It's not the humiliation. It's the imbalance that bothers me. And suddenly I understood that Hercule Poirot is someone who is able to sense everything around him such that it's an invasion to his personality. And all he's trying to do is to make rational a world that is irrational. And it's it's basically, he's he's got an OCD problem. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I understood Poirot in a way that I didn't ever understand Poirot before. Like, he can't help it. He doesn't want to be this way. He doesn't want to be this shitty, vain mustachioed asshole he has to be this way because that's the only way that he can deal with his anxieties and i love that so there i mean i can't i cannot entirely go with you but i do think that all right ending skype now goodbye i I will say that brana's performance as hercule poirot is probably the best thing in that movie i did enjoy oh yeah the rest is well no wait a minute what about michelle pfeiffer's great in it I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's great in everything. She yeah. is... Oh. But, but, but Dan, you and I, we can make peace over this. Branagh's Poirot is interesting to watch. Michelle Pfeiffer is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is, is not good. <laughs> yes, agreed. Well, except for Dame Judi Dench. She's a, good. A, a virtual shaking of hands. Now, I haven't seen the movie. Does Dame Judi Dench appear as a cat? And sing a song explaining to the viewer that what cats are. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. She appears as a cat, and she goes, "My name is Miss Marple. I'll see you in the next movie." <laughs> <laughs> oh, what great casting that would be. So wait, what's the what's the uh, when's your show air, guys? What's the details on that thing? July 9th on Cake on FXX, and then the next day on Hulu. Because FXX has a deal with Hulu. And the show is called Dick Town. It has mm-hmm. profanity in it. It's, uh, but it's, it's like a, it's not, there's dirty language and stuff, but I don't think of it as a cynical, it's not hard boiled. It's more like a cozy, right. it's cozy, grimy mysteries. Yeah. We have our new genre of grimy, cozy no, mysteries. N- nobody's pants a- catch on fire and then get put out by a baby urinating on them. <laughs> Doesn't quite get that nuts. No. Does no. that happen in Murder on the Orient Express, the new one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The poo poo train. What if they called it that? The poo poo train. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh on the poo poo train. And then Rachel the trailer, they'd have that song. Come on, ride that train. The poo poo train. <laughs> We've got also incredible uh, friends who were uh, guest voices on the show. Including our friend Gene Gray, Zach Alfanakis, John Glazer, John Benjamin, Kristen Shaw, uh, 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 and and others. Uh, Griffin Newman of Blank Check wow. Podcast. Oh, it's uh, it's yeah. yeah, lots of people came in Paula and made Tompkins it a lot of fun. Tompkins and Janie Haddad Tompkins. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. So. It's a it, um, and if there's a season two, there's a role in it for all three of you. So. Listen to me. Yes, okay, so sure everybody tune the fuck in. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Gotta get those numbers up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen the to me, fans of the Flophouse. Of David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got stars in my eyes. 
If you want right. to see, if you want to see John Hunchman and David Purefoy, the main characters from Dicktown, dealing with their new arch nemesis, <laughs> Stu Wellington, <laughs> oh, I don't even hobby store. detective. Yeah. <laughs> you, you better watch. Like you better cool watch this thing like, and send in letters. Like a cool, like a cool, uh, like detective name, like I don't know, like Puert Smellington or something. <laughs> Whoa, that's filthy. I think. Yeah. I think. Stuart, I think you may be mixing up detectives and garbage pail kids. <laughs> and cool with oh. gross. Oh. oh, man, I did it again. <laughs> Can I ask one last movie question? Can I ask one last mystery yeah. movie question of you guys? Yeah. Have any of you guys ever seen a French mystery called Tell No One? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah, it's great. it's great. I would recommend that to your listeners. I'll. That's another movie that, like Gosford Park, I just love so much. I've probably seen that movie four times. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally and recommend. I I would recommend. Oh, I saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I had to look it up. I couldn't remember. You had to look it up in your little book of movies that you saw. No, no, I had to, I had to look up which movie it was because I couldn't. Uh-huh. I was like, "Have I seen that one? I know of it, but yeah, yeah, I saw that. One. That one was good." It, if you if your listeners are interested in modern takes on a cl- a classic Agatha Christie style cozy mystery and also a modern take on a classic american hard-boiled film mystery uh, just go go no further than your friend ryan johnson check out knives out and then check out brick mm-hmm. two great mysteries in, oh, in yeah, brick. those two traditions yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that's your great stuff. okay well, mystery movies wonderful uh, stuff mystery hey movies. everyone loves mystery movies Hey, I'm John Hodgman, host of this. Uh, <laughs> oh. Okay, great. Host of this episode of the uh, Flophouse Minisode, uh-huh. and uh, it's been my pleasure to talk to my friends here about mystery movies, detectives, uh, mm-hmm. outsiders, uh, hobbyists, yep. poo poo trains, mm-hmm. and many other topics. Mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out to uh, the hosts of this show, uh, Dan McCoy, Stuart Wellington, and Elliot Kalen. Hey, you guys! Thanks so much for being hey. on the show that you host. Meanwhile, thank it's me. Thank you for having us. Oh, you're, you're welcome. And thank you for having us. I, by us, I mean me and David Reese, uh, co-stars and co-creators of the new show, Dicktown, on FXX's Cake. Sorry. On Nailed Cake. It. FXX's new, new half-hour <laughs> late-night anthology show, Dicktown <laughs> episode starts cycling into cake, whatever that means. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> July 9th at 10 p.m. and streaming the next day on FX on Hulu. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for having us on the show. Uh, thank you. I would also say okay. thank you. That's cool. Thank you for having us. Bye. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.